Welcome to the Laser Therapy Institute weekly podcast, the world's first podcast about medical laser therapy for healthcare providers. Each week, we discuss the latest research, interviews with experts, and how laser therapy can enhance your practice. Now, here is the founder of LTI and your host, Dr. Jason Rountree. Hello and welcome back to the Laser Therapy Institute weekly podcast. Today we're going to be talking about rheumatoid arthritis and we'll be referencing a study titled Low Power Laser Therapy in Rheumatoid Arthritis. And check this out. This is a study that was published in Lasers in Medical Science in February 1989. This is an old study and I picked this one out because I wanted to mix in not only what's going on recently with research, but also to demonstrate we've got a whole very in-depth long history of research that's been done with laser on medical conditions and almost no one knows about some of this stuff. So let's go ahead and dive in here and talk first about rheumatoid arthritis. Now as a provider, uh, depending on what you see in your office, you've probably seen a few of these come through at least. It's a pretty common disorder. There are about 200,000 cases per year in the U.S. And of course, it's the, it's the autoimmune inflammatory arthritic process there that's going on. Happens very, very commonly in the joints, um, as well as there are some organ effects, but uh, most commonly in the fingers. No, it can happen in the feet, wrists, elbows, knees, ankles, shoulders. Uh, most dangerous in the cervical spine. So uh, rheumatoid processes in the cervical spine can actually uh, degrade the C1, C2 uh, vertebral connection there. So some of these folks that have had a rheumatoid arthritis process happen in the upper cervical spine uh, can end up with a very, very delicate C1, C2 juncture there. Uh, with the dens being uh, much, much weakened by this, uh, this process, this bony erosion process that can happen. So always a good thing to uh, remember to do some imaging on the cervical spine if you are seeing indications of rheumatoid arthritis elsewhere in the body, just to make sure that the cervical spine is stable. Now, the symptoms, of course, do vary case by case. Oftentimes, they do come and go as well. So when somebody with rheumatoid arthritis is present to your office, they, it may be uh, something that bothers them here and there. It may be very, very consistent. Really, this can be all over the place. Uh, again, most commonly, you're going to see this in the fingers, and those, that's where we get those obvious deformations of the uh, proximal uh, joints from the fingers to the hand there. We get uh, enlarged and swollen joint capsules, hot red, swollen joints, and eventually it goes on to bone and cartilage erosion. Now, some of the real early signs uh, for this, and the early signs are important because the earlier you can catch this disorder, the more effective your treatment regimen is going to be, obviously. So uh, some of the early signs are early morning stiffness especially. Early morning stiffness ends up uh, being one of the hallmarks for this dis disorder along with uh, pain as well. So some x-rays oftentimes can can help us confirm a diagnosis of rheumatoid arthritis and then there's blood testing that should always be done of course as well and that's going to include rheumatoid factor, uh, C-reactive protein, ESR and, and you can do an ELISA test to pull 
the antibodies that are specific to rheumatoid arthritis. However, most of the time, combination of x-rays and uh, RF, CRP, and ESR is going to give you a pretty good clinical picture of what's going on. Just do make sure you take that step. Don't write off somebody um, as an osteoarthritis patient without kind of following those steps and making sure that you have a good handle on exactly what's going on. So how does rheumatoid arthritis happen? Most patients want to know, you know, what's going on here? Why did this happen to me? Why did this get started? The truth is we're not sure. We don't really have a very good clear cut um, reason for why this happens to some patients and, and not to others. We do know there are some genetic links. Um, however, that's not the only factor. It does appear to be an overreaction of the immune system, as all autoimmune disorders are. And one term that I really like when we start talking about rheumatoid arthritis is persistent cellular activation. Because once you've got the antibody response has been triggered, and that can be triggered by trauma, can be triggered by infection, uh, a whole host of, of causes, we think. Once that antibody response has been triggered, you get a, uh, an activation of B lymphocytes and macrophages that really promote inflammation in and around the joint. And that further allows for T cell entry into the joint. And that really is what starts that inflammatory cascade that goes on to involve uh, tumor necrosis factor alpha, interleukin-17, and a whole host of other inflammatory markers that really uh, seem to contribute to promote that damage to the articular cartilage. Uh, bony surface, you get uh, a whole lot of soft tissue uh, damage that goes on as well. So it's that, that cellular cascade though that really creates all this trauma. The earlier you can catch that and effectively reduce it, the less symptoms the patient's going to have. So if you can catch this earlier on, your, your treatment, whatever your treatment's going to be, and we'll go into that in a second, should be more effective. Now, um, your current treatment recommendations. Current treatment recommendations really, really do lean heavily on methotrexate as a chemotherapy agent to reduce that inflammatory process and really interrupt the immune system reaction there. Now, of course, that does have a large number of uh, side effects. Uh, significantly uh, liver damage is a big one. Uh, NSAIDs can be effective. Um, however, we know our NSAIDs, especially with consistent chronic use, do implicate uh, GI and kidney uh, dysfunction damage disorders. And, and the thing is, um, there's just not a lot of other good alternatives that really work well with controlling the symptoms of rheumatoid arthritis or especially with halting the progression of the disorder other than methotrexate. There are some other drugs that can be effective, and I'll leave that to the rheumatologist to talk about. Um, but uh, exercise is a pretty limited benefit. Occupational therapy uh, can be beneficial to some degree. Um, some level of psychological kind of counseling does seem to be helpful to some degree. But again, these are, these are more dealing with the symptoms and not so much trying to limit the progression of this disorder. There really just aren't that many alternatives that can really be said to work. Now, given that, let's jump into this study. Okay, so again, this is a study from 1989. 
low power laser therapy and rheumatoid arthritis. What they did is they took 35 rheumatoid arthritis patients and they split them into a laser and a placebo group and they were working on the fingers. All right, so this is finger specific for this particular study. This is a double blinded study and the average age for the participants was about 60 years old and on average it had a diagnosis of rheumatoid arthritis for about 14 years. So this is not new. This is not an acute onset thing. This is generally, for most of the, uh, the study participants, pretty chronic. They were treated three times a week for four weeks and the researchers used an 820 nanometer continuous wave diode laser at 15 milliwatts and they did about 60 seconds per joint for a total dose of 3.58 joules per centimeter squared, which does fit into some of the um, WALT guidelines for laser dosage. WALT guidelines generally will talk about um, 3 to 10 joules per centimeter squared uh, for a lot of these disorders. So they treated these folks three times a week, four weeks. Prior to beginning treatment, they went ahead and performed measurements for grip strength, swelling, uh, range of motion for finger flexion, so closing the hand. They measured morning stiffness, uh, self-reported pain. They also went ahead, and I think this is pretty exciting, they went ahead and did chemistry markers as well. So they took blood samples before and after uh, the study was actually done, the treatments were actually done, to measure ESR, fibrinogen, leukocytes, lymphocytes, and hemoglobin. So, took those before, took all that after. Let me just go ahead and jump you straight to the conclusions. So, the results of this were during the trial, and again, this is laser, three times a week, four weeks. So during the trial, the grip strength improved in the laser group, whereas the placebo group really didn't see much of a change at all, a statistically insignificant decrease. The swelling decreased for those who got laser and was unchanged for the placebo group. The ability to close the hand, so the distance from the fingers to the palm, this is exciting, actually had a great improvement. So prior to treatment, patients were not able to close the hand. They had a 6.5 millimeter average distance from the fingertips to the palm. After treatment, for those who got laser, that went to 0.0 millimeters. That means they went from not being able to close the hand to being able to close the hand completely. In the folks who did not get laser, that got the placebo, no change. Also, we noted a significant decreasing trend of the duration of morning stiffness from an average of about one and a quarter hours to a half an hour for those who got laser, whereas the trend in the placebo group was not statistically significant. Now, on self-reported pain, both groups did experience a statistically significant declining pain level. However, a much more significant difference was noted in those who got laser as opposed to those who got the placebo treatment. Let's go ahead and jump to the biochemistry here. And what they measured with ESR, fibrinogen, leukocytes, lymphocytes, and hemoglobin, they noted a significant trend, a decrease in the SED rate and leukocyte count. So SED rate went from an average of about 28.0 in, e, in the laser group down to about 19. And the placebo group didn't change. For leukocytes, went from 8.8 .8 down to 7.7 .7 for laser group. 
whereas in the uh, placebo group it really didn't change hardly at all. So this is kind of a big deal because not only are we noting very, very objective measurements of things like swelling and range of motion, uh, but also even in self-reported pain and stiffness, that improved, but the chemistry of the body actually made a significant swing towards being less inflamed. So what are your takeaways? Number one, laser improves not only your, the, the patient's symptoms, but also the cellular environment and the joint biochemistry. You can't fake that. You can't imagine that your ESR is better. That's hard numbers. So not only are we talking about their symptomatic results, but even the biochemistry improved. Number two takeaway here is the current treatment side effects are clearly significant if you're doing what's typically recommended. However, with laser, there are basically none. This particular study didn't note any side effects, and the worst we ever see for side effects with laser is going to be some of that temporary fatigue, temporary soreness that can be really pretty minimal. And that even is not typical. Number three, if you're a provider and you want to treat somebody with rheumatoid arthritis, you need laser. That's just flat out. I mean, this study was 30 years ago. So we need to have laser involved in the treatment of rheumatoid arthritis. Maybe you can't keep everybody off of the medications. However, if you can improve their quality of life, improve their symptoms with something as low impact as laser, you should be doing it. You need the right laser, you need good treatment plans, we can help you with that, give us a shout, we'll, we'll get you all set up. But if you're going to be treating folks with rheumatoid arthritis, you definitely need laser. Thanks very much for listening in. We'll see you next week. Subscribe now to keep learning about the growing field of laser therapy. Check out our patient-focused podcast, Healing at the Speed of Light, a great resource for your patients. For massive practice growth and improved patient outcomes, become a certified Laser Therapy Institute clinic. Learn how at lasertherapyinstitute.org.